0: In Paradise Lost, John Milton used his creative pen to personify the devil and his demons, naming one of the diabolic creatures Mammon. In the book, Mammon is called the least erected of the fallen angels. He walks hunched over with his eyes cast downward as he looks to the ground for lost treasures. Mammon is greedy and always hungry for gold or money. Milton's depiction of mammon reminds us of how prone we are to worship wealth. No wonder Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. I'm Ron Jones. Something good starts right now.
1: Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Hello and welcome to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. My name is Brian Davis. I'm so glad you've joined us. Those words of wisdom came from Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter five, verse 10. Today, Ron explains how the love of money can wreak havoc in our relationship with God. It's the final installment of his teaching series, His Money, Your Faith. And it comes your way next. Online, remember you'll find us at somethinggoodradio.org, where you can listen to the broadcast on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Now here's Ron with part two of his message, Your Eternal Portfolio. Jesus goes on to say in
0: verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you, how great is the darkness? Now, what does that have to do with the price of tea in China or up the road here? I mean, I've read that for years and I thought, this just seems out of place. He's talking about money in this context and then he shifts to light and darkness and you know the eye and all of that. What, what, what's he talking about here? And I did some further study years ago and discovered he's drawing upon some rabbinical teaching in the first century, where the rabbis used to say that a a bad eye person was a stingy person, and a good eye person was a generous person. And when you read that, understanding into these verses, I, I come up with this summary of what Jesus is saying, and that is that stingy. Or bad eye people lack vision and they have a scarcity mentality. They're the people that are always saying, well, We haven't got enough money around here to do that. Well, how are we gonna pay for that? And then there are generous, good eye people who are full of vision and have an abundance mentality. Why do they have an abundance mentality? because they came to the first message in this series where we talked about how God owns everything. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He, he owns every, He doesn't have a resource problem. Not at all. God always has enough resource to fund whatever vision he's given to us. And this applies to your personal life as well. As you step out in faith financially, when we put him first in our finances, we are delegating the responsibility to make it all work in his hands. When he's last in our budget, guess who assumes the responsibility? Us. And then he looks at us at some point and says, how's that working for you? So, giving is an investment in eternity. Giving moves my heart closer to God. Giving clarifies my vision. Number four, giving focuses my priorities. Look at verse 24. Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Are are you a a go getter, a type A person? Uh, The kind of person who doesn't like to hear the word cannot? I'm that kind of person. I mean, if I could change my ethnicity and my nation of origin, I'd be a Mexican, not a Mexicant. That's just the way I'd be, all right? Come on, that was really good. Come on, give me a... That was good, a Mexican, not a Mexicant. I'm an American, not an Americant, right? I mean, can't and cannot is just not part of some of our vocabulary. And so when Jesus says, you cannot serve God in money, that's hard for me to... Factor. If you had said it's hard for me to do that, if it's an uphill climb to do that, okay. But I cannot do it because he knows there's only one seat on the throne of your life and my life. And perhaps the greatest threat to the lordship of Jesus Christ in our life is this little thing called money. It's why he went after it so many times and at times prescribed radical financial surgery. And by the way, you don't have to have a lot of money to make money your God. It just takes a little bit to to insert that in in Jesus' rightful place. In the old translations, the King James Version says, you cannot serve God and mammon. Webster defines mammon as uh, the, the false god of riches and avarice. And John Milton in his classic book, Paradise Lost, picked up on this, and and Milton used his creative pen to personify the devil and his demons in Paradise Lost, and he named one of the diabolic creatures Mammon, gave him that name. And if you read Paradise Lost, you'll discover that mammon is called the least erected of the fallen angels. He walks hunched over with his eyes cast downward as he looks to the ground for lost treasures. Mammon is greedy and always hungry for gold or money. And Milton's description of mammon in Paradise Lost reminds us of how prone we are to to worship our wealth and why Jesus had to say, no one can serve two masters. Either he's gonna hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Giving refocuses my priorities. It's also the best antidote to the materialism of our day, okay? I mean, materialism is is wanting to grab us at, at every turn And when you commit to giving and to giving to God first, it not only moves you closer to him and makes an investment in eternity and clarifies your vision, it reprioritizes your focus in life. It's not about earthly things, it's about heavenly things. You begin to live with an eternal perspective, with your eyes on an eternal reward. And you can say no to the treasures of this life Not that you don't have fun once in a while, I'm not saying that. Remember, free of debt, free from the love of money, free to give generously, and yeah, free to have fun, but you got got your priorities in, in place.
1: Dr. Ron Jones will be right back with the second half of today's message, Your Eternal Portfolio by somethinggoodradio.org anytime to find out more about the ministry or to ask our ministry team to pray for you or order selected resources from our online store. Some of life's greatest
0: adventures take place on a road trip. Nothing is more enjoyable than traveling the open highway with the windows rolled down and the music turned up. Each town, each exit, an experience all its own. Hello, friend. I'm Ron Jones of Something Good Radio, and today I'm inviting you to take a road trip with me. You see, I'm convinced that reading the Bible is the greatest literary adventure you can ever take. But with 66 books, two testaments, and more than 600,000 words, it can be a daunting journey to attempt. That's why I wrote my two-volume book, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible where I give you a bird's eye view of God's Word so you can clearly see how it all fits together. All 66 books of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. So pack your bags and join me on the ultimate road trip through the Bible. You'll
1: be glad you did. Here's Brian with details. The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, Volume 1 and 2, can be yours today by request for your gift of $50 or more to support the ministry of something good. When you order the print versions, you'll also get instant access to the Route 66 digital library a $275 value. The online library includes electronic versions of the book, plus video sermons, audio messages, and downloadable sermon notes on all 66 books of the Bible. Visit somethinggoodradio.org to request the two-volume set and to gain immediate access to the Route 66 digital library. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Pastor Ron, not only did you break this project up into two volumes, but you created what you call eight different road trips five in the old testament and three in the new help our listeners understand the motivation behind that literary structure you know brian
0: categorizing the various books of the bible into eight separate groups is nothing new uh, they include the books of the law the old testament historical books uh, the wisdom books the major prophets the minor prophets. Then we're into the Gospels and the early church, the Pauline epistles, and we finish up with the general epistles in Revelation. But when I first decided to compare the reading of God's Word to a travel adventure, well, it took me almost no time to come up with the phrase road trip to identify these eight sections of Scripture. Uh, What I believe the reader will begin to see a little more clearly is that the books of the law, for example, point to the person and work of Jesus Christ as much as the Gospels do. Uh, That's because the Bible is one story with one main character. His name is Jesus and he is the Christ. Uh, My hope is that by experiencing the 66 books of the Bible as eight separate road trips, uh, this overarching theme will be easier to recognize and understand.
1: Such a great idea, Pastor Ron. We're so glad you decided to share this important book with us. You can get your copy today by going to somethinggoodradio.org. Both volumes of this great resource are yours for a gift of $50 or more. To support the ministry of Something Good, give online at somethinggoodradio.org or over the phone by calling our offices at 757 757- or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245 Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456 Now let's rejoin Ron for the rest of today's message Your Eternal Portfolio Here's
0: a sixth principle Giving activates God's economic plan How many of you want God's blessing on your finances? I certainly do well, Jesus said this in Luke chapter six and verse 38. We'll move from Matthew to Luke, chapter six and verse 38. These are the words of Jesus. He says, "Give, and it will be given to you." Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. These are pretty profound words, if you just take them at face value. Jesus says, "Give." And it will be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Now you're probably wondering why I have a box of Cheerios here. It's because about halfway through the message at the 11 o'clock service, I get hungry and I was going to have a bowl of cereal. But (laughs) besides that, I I, I love breakfast cereal. Cheerios is a good one to to buy because it's heart healthy, right? And gluten free, all those kinds of things there. But here's what I've noticed about you know, dry cereal like this at any of your grocery stores or whatever the brand is you might like. You, you buy a big box like this. I don't know how many ounces this is. Uh, 18 ounce box. It's the biggest one Cheerios makes. And when you open it up, it's filled up to about here, isn't it? I'm like, what's, what's with that? I mean, what happened? Why do they need such a big box for, for this amount? And somewhere in the manufacturing and in the shipping, you know, the contents settle, do they not? And you end up opening up a box that's three quarters of the way full. But that's not the way God manufactures things in our life. He says, give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over so that it pours into your lap. Now here's what I've learned over the years. God has, well, basically two, two size scoops He has a large scoop, and he has a small scoop. And when the settling takes place, he's gonna reach for one of those scoops. And it all depends on how much we've given. Again, Jesus says, give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together so it settles, now I'm gonna reach for my scoop. And he pours in more. And he pours in so much that you can't even close the top of the box lid because it's pouring over into your lap. You got the picture there? So let me say it again. Jesus says, says, give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over as it pours into your lap. The measure with which you give is the measure with which it will be given. It will determine which scoop God picks up. And for whatever reason, he has obligated himself to to that economic principle. Now, I'm not a prosperity theologian where I think you can name it and claim it, but I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater because I read this principle all over Scripture. Not just here, but also in the Old Testament book of Malachi where the Lord says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and test me in this. If you don't have enough faith to trust me, then test me. Put me to the financial test and see if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing to you that's so big you can't handle it. And on top of that, I'm going to rebuke the, the, the devourer that's beating you up right now. I mean, that, that's a good deal, isn't it? Put him to the test. And then I go to... 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, which is the largest section of scripture in the New Testament and Paul's writing, given to matters of stewardship and giving. And he talks about all the churches that he planted and the generosity of the Macedonians and all of that. And he comes to chapter 9, and in the context of that that subject, he says, He who sows sparingly reaps sparingly, he who sows generously reaps generously. He's talking about money, he's using a farming analogy. Every farmer understands if I want a big harvest, i got to scatter a big seed. But if I'm, I'm, I'm stingy with it, if I'm a stingy bad-eye person with a scarcity mentality, then I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a stingy farmer, right? And, and I'm not going to get much of a harvest. So I say giving activates God's economic life. These are These are Biblical economic principles woven through all the pages of Scripture. And it's just our responsibility to take them by faith and to act upon them. Lastly, giving makes me more like God. And I love this part. John chapter 3 and verse 16, you, you can say it from memory, I'm sure. For God so loved the world that he, he gave. He gave. And not with just a, a little tiny scoop. No, he gave his one and only Son. That's a big gift. Big gift. In fact, God is the most generous being in the universe. So much so that you can't outgive Him. I think that's what Jesus is saying in Luke 6 and verse 38 Give and it shall be given unto you because you can never outgive God. He's always got a bigger scoop than you. So put Him to the test. Learn to walk by faith in your financial life. Learn to activate these economic principles. And when you do, And when I do, we are never more like God than when we give. I mean, we should grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and grow in the grace of giving. We should be becoming more generous in our time and our talent and our treasure as God stretches our faith. Why? Because he's such a generous God. It just makes no sense. A a stingy Christian is an oxymoron, friends. A bad eyed stingy Christian with a scarcity mentality is just, it, it doesn't compute in the Scriptures because God has been so generous with us. In fact, James chapter 1 and verse 17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. He is a generous God, a good God who loves to give good gifts to His kids. And nothing pleases his heart more than when we walk by faith and we grow in the grace of giving and generosity. It puts a smile on heaven's face and on our Father's face. I'm just trying to share with you from Scripture why it's in your interest and my best interest to become more generous and more giving. It's an investment in eternity. Jesus says, do this for yourself. It moves my heart closer to God it clarifies my vision, it focuses my priorities, it activates God's economic plan, and it makes me more like God. Sounds like a deal, doesn't it? So from this day forward, let's walk by faith, friends. With, with, with eternity in view, we're just passing through this life. The Bible says we're pilgrims, we're strangers in this world. And the, and the older I get and the more I walk with Jesus, the the less this world satisfies. And if you've come to that place where you're just just completely unsatisfied by any pursuit you've had in this world, well, maybe that's just a little bit of eternity that God has put in your heart because you were made for so much more and created for a paradise that we don't live in right now. So this world will never completely satisfy. It doesn't mean you don't have an earthly portfolio and you don't take care of your time here on this earth, but not at the expense of that eternal portfolio. Make sure you're laying up for yourself treasures in heaven and growing in the grace of giving for all the reasons that we just talked about from Jesus'
1: teaching. Thanks so much for joining us for today's message, Your Eternal Portfolio. And Ron, as we wrap up this series, His Money, Your Faith, I thought you might like to share some final thoughts with our listeners, a parting shot before we move on to your next series, which begins tomorrow. I sure do, Brian. I
0: think I can summarize the major theme of this series by simply saying these three things. First, everything belongs to God. Second, we are stewards, not owners. And third, God, who is the owner, has a plan for the way we use what He has entrusted to us. Now I realize that sounds like some kind of meaningless platitude, but let me drive the point home by showing the benefit we get from embracing these three ideas. And it's something I talked a little bit about on Monday. No one loves money for the sake of money. People love it because of what it can do for them, what it brings to their lives, joy or excitement or meaning or satisfaction or material goods or power or any number of other things. But the whole thing is one big lie from Satan. The truth is, living life God's way is the best way to have all of those things I just mentioned. You want joy, you want satisfaction, you want meaning? Well, do life God's way and you'll have these things in abundance. You'll also have all of your needs met. And what I mean by that is there is nothing more thrilling than living the Christian life well, nothing more satisfying, nothing more exciting. This is what God wants for us. It's not about a rigid standard of obedience. It's not about legalism. It's about the God who knows us best, showing us the best way to live joyful, meaningful lives, which is all anyone really wants anyway. Think of God as the great physician, he diagnoses our ailment. He knows just what we need to heal and to make us whole. And he, he writes us a prescription for joy and peace and life filled with meaning and relevance. He's done all of that in his word, the Bible. Now follow the doctor's instructions, not only in the area of money management, but in life management. And we'll get all the things we really desire thrown in. And I'm not talking about getting rich. This is not about the accumulation of things. That's not the kind of prosperity I'm talking about, nor am I saying we will avoid the unpleasantness of life if we simply walk in obedience to God's Word. We still have to live in a fallen world. Challenges and trials will come, but these things God wants to give to us, joy, meaning, purpose, hey, they can all exist in spite of our circumstances, and we can have those things when we choose to do life God's way. I'm talking about the things we truly want deeply in our spirits, joy unspeakable, peace that surpasses all understanding, a purpose that gives eternal meaning to our temporal lives. He'll give us all of that and more when we take His advice and instruction, when we put into practice the truth we learn, or to say
1: it another way, when we fill His prescription. That's great stuff, Ron, and it's true. Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Now, Ron, Christmas Day is fast approaching, and I know you have a series beginning tomorrow that talks about the birth of our Savior and what it means to us as individuals and to the world in general. Tell us where you're headed tomorrow as you kick off your teaching series, The Gifts of Christmas. Well, Brian, one of my favorite parts of Christmas
0: is giving gifts to the people I love. I'm sure you and many others out there uh, feel the same way. But of course, God is a giver too. John chapter 3 and verse 16 uh, says, For God so loved the world that He what? Well, He gave. Uh, Beginning tomorrow, I'll dive into what exactly He gave us. Uh, Not only the gift of a Savior, which of course is, is most important, but all the gifts that come our way because of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. There are too many to mention, but
1: I'll talk about some of them. And I can promise you this, some of God's gifts may surprise you. It all begins tomorrow when Dr. Ron Jones kicks off his teaching series, The Gifts of Christmas. Join us then for Something Good for Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio. I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for listening.